Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Mustone, welcome. Uh, welcome to the Boney Podcast. You know, the first thing I noticed is that you're an aerospace engineer, but you, you're going for an MBA. What, what, what made you do that? Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. <laughs> I work in the aerospace industry. I have background in mechanical engineering. Um, yeah, I work in aerospace engineering for sure, but I'm doing MBA just because I most of my knowledge and everything that I know about is more technical. And if you want to be a successful uh, leader in any industry, you need to have both technical expertise as well as business aptitude. So that is where I, uh, I, I saw that I lack knowledge. And hence, I said, all right, um, let me do an MBA and get an understanding of how a corporation works and what are the incentives that drives um, uh, a corporations to make certain uh, decisions over others. So that's why I'm doing my MBA. And you're going to the Boot School of Business, which is you know, top, one of the top schools in the country. Talk about that. How was, that, how was the admission process of getting into Booth? Um, it was, uh, so it all comes down to your undergrad, how well did you do, and your GMAT, uh, and obviously the interview process. Um, so I'll start with the last one. The interview process was pretty easy as long as you, you show, and it, as long as you're authentic about it, and as long as you can demonstrate that you have the leadership skills and ambition to do what you want to achieve and, and pair it with the, your achievements, you can do a pretty good job. So it wasn't too, too bad when it comes to the interview process itself. Uh, but I think the most, the most painful was uh, the GMAT. It, mm-hmm. is, it, yeah. is, an, it is no joke. Um, it just because I work 50 hours a week and also like at least 50 hours. And on top of that, you have to do time commitment on your GMAT. And it took me like six to eight months of every single day waking up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. study for wow. like, four hours or three hours, then go to work and do it all every single day. So yeah, that was, uh, that was tough, but I would say that I got lucky. Uh, when I, when I, uh, applied and got in, I still didn't think that I deserved it, uh, to be honest. Um, but then after a year about, it's now about a year seeing how well am I doing in, in the classes? I'm like, maybe I deserved it. So that's, that's, that's my, that's have been my experience with Booth so far. That, that attitude you just described, I find that it's a very typical Bengali attitude. Do you, what do you think? It's a very, uh, South Asians, we, we, our parents have grilled that in our brain yeah. that you don't deserve good stuff. <laughs> even when you good think, when, even even when you, you, when you, you achieve things, it. yeah, when you even achieve things, they'll remind you like, well, how about next period? Or yeah, next why not, time, yeah, right? why not Harvard? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 so. But, you know, the other, other thing I, I really like to talk about, talk to people that went to these top schools. First, I think it's, there's a lot of value in going to a top school. But also, I find that for like, for example, even myself, it wasn't even a thought to me for, to apply for these top schools because I was always concerned about the cost. But uh, my Boney um, head of ops, uh, she's like the, you know, my number two. She went to Princeton undergrad and Harvard grad. And she always tells me the toughest part is getting in. And then after that, paying for it really is not an issue because if you can get in, these universities have 
huge endowments and also banks will just line up to give you loans. So the cost really shouldn't be a factor, but I think that's a factor for a lot of families or that's actually a, 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 my, my, a block uh, for a lot of families. What do you think? In, um, I agree with uh, your number two. Um, it's, I went to Boston University for my undergrad. I don't know what I was doing. I signed up for it. After I graduated, I, real, I was told like, oh, you have six-figure student loan. You need to pay it off. Wow. So, so, you know, it's not, this is not, it's not my first rodeo. I have done it before and it was yeah. painful, but what I found out like, you know, the dividends or the ROI because of you go to schools like that, yeah, it's going to be so much higher that you don't have to worry about the money. Um, so I'm not too, too worried about the money. Um, not going to rock and wood. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do well and I, I would be able to pay it off. So, yeah. Have you had any classes with, um, I'm, I'm lo- I lost his name, the Freakonomics author? Uh, I, uh, no, I, 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 the reason I, first of all, I did not remember the, who the name was, but I, I took economics classes. I love them. And if any uh, of the authors were, or any of the, my professors were the author, they would have mentioned it. So <laughs> that's why I was like, hey, most likely not. So the, the reason we actually, I wanted to talk to you because I, I, love, I love talking to people that are in industries that are like sort of just like outside of my circle. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have any aerospace engineers. You know, I had a great conversation a few months ago with an astrophysicist that I had, had on, even though I didn't know anything about that subject. I just learned a lot. So I like having conversations with people like that. So how did you, what made you get into aerospace engineering? Actually, before you say that, just, Explain to, I guess, like a five-year-old what aerospace engineering is. Um, it's, it's, I'll keep it as basic as possible. It's, it's, you see those planes out there? We just make them fly. That'll be <laughs> it. And then if they're not happy about it, I'll just take the five-year-old, toss it over the other side of the bed. It's like, did you fly? I'm like, yeah. And they'll come back again. It's like, well, we, we make it fly for longer. So that's, that's how I would explain. It just, it's just a metal box that flies. That's about it. And what made you what made you interested in that? Were you always interested in planes as a child or um I've always been interested so I do I did mechanical engineering. Um that really I was really into cars and I was obviously I and when in Bangladesh I um, I went to an Air Force school. It's a military school, so it has always been a thing that either I'm gonna become a, a fighter pilot, that was mm-hmm. what I wanna be when I was in Bangladesh, but now I'm here. So, and Connecticut has uh, Pratt & Whitney, which is the, one of the biggest uh, employer, and um, they make awesome stuff. So I really wanted to be part of the team, which works on the most complicated machine on earth, just a jet engine. Um, so luckily I got a break after many years and I got in and um, I'm happy to be there and, uh, and enjoying every single moment. What makes the jet engine the most complicated machine on earth? Uh, the number of parts in there, the number of like engineering that goes in to develop each part, the amount of testing it takes, uh, and how reliable it has to be. Um, if you look at any other, again, I'm talking about only mechanical comp- uh, uh, components or engines. You look at like rocket engines, uh, they're just as complicated. I'm not saying that they're less, any less complicated. And you look at car engines, I mean, it's a mature product. So. What makes it complicated is the amount of time it takes to develop anything in there. And the amount, the number of components, like a million components in a small packed stuff, uh, jet engines. And, um, 
and and the amount of engineering engineering it takes to develop it is is tremendous. And obviously, the money four billion, sixty billion dollar just to develop a first engine. So that's why I, I'm I'm claiming that to be the most complicated. But obviously, I'm being subjective about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's how I will just live with it. What are your thoughts on EVs? I mean, EVs are just sprouting up everywhere. Are, uh, are they less complicated, more complicated? No, the the e- issue with the EV is how you develop. Okay, so obviously everything is subjective. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to minimize that it's any less complicated, but the challenges are, challenges are different in EV, right? It's about manufacturing, especially the batteries, and, and how you pack more energy in it. So it's more of a science-based complication than mm-hmm. engineering-based complication because you just don't have the technology yet with the batteries yet. So they're developing it. Once you develop that, then the complication comes in in the manufacturing, that how you manufacture it economically. So it challenge, it, the challenges are not in all in one place. It happens in stages. So the EVs are good right now, but how do you have more power in the battery? How you can drive longer without recharging it? Those are the challenges that are in uh, and it all comes down to the battery. So uh, I'm not going to say like you know, any less complicated, but it is complicated. So uh, when you talk to students uh, that want to potentially get into your field, what are some of the things that you tell them? Like, what are some of the traits that's necessary to be successful in your field? So it all depends on um, what are their expertise. Are they science students, engineering students? Are they business students, so it depends on what it is, right? I'll speak to about the engineering aspect of it because that's what I am. Um, I would say, do not be afraid. It looks daunting. It looks like they will quiz you on everything, and it's not. Uh, as long as you know that the, the true art of engineering is that you need to know how to solve a problem. That's the only thing. I have graduated some time ago. I will not say that <laughs> what year, uh, but um, uh, I don't remember anything what I learned in college, but somehow I'm an engineer, right? So it's my ability to solve problems. That's the skill sets that you develop in college. So anybody who's listening to this, who is thinking about getting into it, and if you're in engineering field, focus more on your ability to solve problems. If there's anything that looks daunting, don't shy away. So like, no, no I, I will take on this. I'll break, in, break into small manageable pieces. I'll solve each one. And later on, if it's needed, I put it back. And then voila, the, sol- the solutions would be there. So again, uh, be, be bold and don't think you have to know everything. The only thing you need to have is your ability to solve problems. That's the skill sets that I would ask young aspir- aspiring engineers to at least take that in, like be able, be able to solve problems or be bold enough to solve the problems. Do you have to be particularly good in math? Yeah, I mean, if you're engineering, you, you gotta be, it's not math, but analytical skill. Um, I rarely do any math. All my maths are on Excel file. <laughs> so it's not anything different. And there's always gonna be some very good experts out there who will help you out. But as long as somebody does the math for you and you look into it and you can understand, what that is, that is what, as a young engineer, that's what we, you will be expected to do, to understand complicated calculations. You don't have to derive it. Deriving is hard. 
as long as you understand, like, all right, if you do X, things happen by Y. If you happen this, so it's not like, you know, you have to know everything. You do have to be good at math, but don't think like you have to have like, you know, bust out differential equations in front of the interviewer. They're not going to test you on that. Don't worry about it. You passed college. Uh, so yeah, be analytical, but don't go crazy about like you have to be the bestest of the best. Going back to what you were saying earlier about doing your MBA, are your goals more entrepreneurial or are your goals to like work for a large company? Um, it is ever-changing. The more classes that I take, it, everything seems so interesting. Um, one thing I do see myself doing is consulting. Um, I, I do like solving problems and sometimes uh, engineering problems are great. I've done it for almost 10 years now. Now I'm like looking for something new and different and consulting, which, which basically, I mean, you do it too. It's like, it's like you guys are doctors of corporations. You go in, if corporation says going through X, Y, Z, you look at the problems and you solve it. And I do enjoy that portion of solving problems. Um, so my goal after MBA is to do some consulting and perhaps be a little bit more entrepreneurial. And at least that's what I said on my, uh, uh, letter to Booth that, that I do want to do in space industry, oh, wow. um, aerospace and space industry, more of a work on the advanced technology, um, what we can offer, what humanity can do, and be at the forefront of it. So that is something that I'm thinking about it. Life happens, things change, but uh, uh, I'm not going to try to be like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm trying to be yeah. flexible as much as possible. That's actually a great segue to what was going to be my next question is about space travel. So there's so many players in this space right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, uh, you have obviously Elon Musk with, with SpaceX, you have Virgin Galactic, you have Amazon, um, and you have some other smaller players. So what, what are they each trying to do? How are they same and how are they different? Uh, uh, the same and the other one, the Amazon is Blue Origin. The other one is Orbital ATK. I think it's part of Lockheed Martin right now. So yeah, uh, in a way they're same because they all try to go to space, but in a way they're different because they all different have uh, different incentives or different um, objectives. So SpaceX is, SpaceX is trying to colonize Mars. Blue Origin or Jeff Bezos don't give a crap about that. He is more about practical cargo delivery or his long-term vision is to colonize space by creating like, you know, if you've seen Inceptions, at the end they have this uh, circular, I, I don't know yeah, what they're yeah. called. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's way too far beyond any, for, any for our imaginations, but those are just, well, wisher, not, not, it's like wishy-washy. You just want to make yourself sound cool. But business plan-wise, they are very different. Uh, SpaceX, what they're trying to achieve versus what uh, other orbital ATK or or Blue Origins, Amazon's, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Blue Origin. So they're not really competing against each other that much uh, just because they are in a different objective in many ways. But in a way, they're all trying to get the funding from the same corporations. Mm. So that is where the competition comes in. Mm. Do you think... Um just individuals going to space, you think that'll happen in our lifetime? So it's just like yeah. for leisure purposes? Um, so you, if you're talking about suborbital, which is a Virgin Galactic, 100%, like, you know, 
if people have the money. I mean, assuming Virgin Galactic can get their reliability and safety numbers up because they tend to explode a lot. Uh, so you have it has to be safe and reliable. I do see that suborbital tra- uh, tourism. I see that happening pretty soon, 10, 10 years, I would say. Really? Again, it's not going to be available for peasants like you and me. It's going to be available for like the rich, richest of the rich if they're adventurous enough. But I think over time, it will become a little bit more commercialized and a little bit cheaper. So that's that. The second one is that outer space, meaning like out of our orbits, moons and that. Um, I don't know how practical that is. And if, I mean, if, if it is moon, I see that some rich billionaires want to do that. But anything beyond that, which takes like six months to go in, like Mars, hmm. I don't know if it's any anybody want to do tourism in, in those industries. So I think it's it's it has potential, but how practical is is it? That's just where it's kind of tapered down. The enthusiasm is going to taper down a little, a little. Hmm. I would say. What do you say to someone that's uh, really pessimistic about all these endeavors uh, and says, you know, we have so many issues right at home on Earth? Why are we spending so much of our tax dollars? Um, you know, on these silly uh, projects, you know, outside of the outside of our, our planet. <laughs> I think I think Bernie said that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is where I'm going to sound like a, a heartless uh, corporate buyout, but I would say like the marginal benefit you get out of spending five million dollar on the space industry versus a social program, you get more bang for the buck on the space program in some ways. Um, just because, again, those are the frontier, right? You just want to make sure that you are trying to learn about the world and economics, not the world and the space and the universe a little bit more than that. But yeah, I mean, there's always the question of morality comes in, like, you know, what would you want to do? I mean, if that's the case, no one should be like, I, if, if I truly believe that's the case, then I should be giving out all my salaries to help out poors. We don't. We, we save and have breakfast and brunch with our friends. We could have been spending the money to, to mm-hmm. because the benefits that you get out of doing very small things, the marginal benefits is higher than trying to dump all the money in one aspect of it. But mm-hmm. I do understand and respect if anybody has that opinion that is exact in the opposite spectrum. I respect them and I'm not going to try to uh, say that they are wrong. I think they're very absolutely right. But if I were in the, if I had the opportunity, like and I, I would get out, I would try to make the system a little bit more efficient so that way we can help out the unfortunate uh, or, or the people who need the help a little bit better instead of dumping a lot of money and, and use that money to efficiently help out the space program, um, which, which would help us learn more about the universe than, than what we have right now. Also, practically speaking, I read an article where, and I don't may have been in a rumor, but Elon Musk is trying to mine certain minerals in in in, in outside of uh, in other con- other planets or or even asteroids. Yeah, um, it sounds fantastic. How practical is it? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really that practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that the world or, or the history of the world that it kind of works is that the moment. Um, that you think that you're running out of that raw material, you find a new way to develop mm. the material or move away. 
I think there's a book called Abundance, and um, one of the books that talk about back in the day, uh, everything was aluminum was a lot more expensive than gold because mm. it was the hottest commodity. Everything was made out of aluminum, and all of a sudden, they're running out of um, uh, like places to mine the aluminum, and the prices went up. At that time, somebody else came in like, look, we can use iron and out, like make alloy and do the same thing even better. So like just like that, all of a sudden, a hot commodity like aluminum, it got, no one cares about it. The value went down by significantly. It's the same with like if you, we were talking about the uh, batteries, right? Right now, Tesla, as much as I love that company, they get their cobalt, which is uh, an element that you need to build batteries, comes from Congo. Think about what happens in Congo, mm, right? Yeah. Child labor, war, war, like internal, so much war is happening. And this is what we need that. We, are we going to save the planet by getting those cobalt or letting those children die by, like, you know, you have to make those calls. It's, it's, it's not tit for tat, right? Like, it's, it's much more complicated. So at one point, we may say, like, look, this is not economically and politically good way of getting cobalt. How can we make a battery with different metals? And I think this is where the shift would come in. And you back to your question with Elon Musk, like, you come in with the big asteroids with the diamond, right? All of a sudden, diamond is not a hot commodity anymore. Nobody wants to buy, get diamond ring. And what are you going to do with that asteroid you just brought closer to Earth? What are you going to do? So I, I think we have enough elements. Um, but mm-hmm. I, do see, I do see one thing that I would do see that, I'm oh, sorry, I do see that if you have asteroids and if we're like colonize other, other um, planet. I do see like using those, some of the asteroids, bring those metal or whatever elements back to, to those planet or moon, maybe whatever, and use those to develop something else that we don't, we don't need to bring back to earth. Like, you know, make something outside of space. So I do see that happening, but not in 50, maybe in hundred years. Mm, that's interesting. What other technologies are you really excited about? I would say it's uh, it's not going to be something grandiose, but I would say the uh, the technology that is helping to understand the quantum mechanics a little bit better, and in in junction with the universe a little. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a huge geek when it comes to space, and I understand how uh, the universe was born and how it expanded and how it's expanding faster than speed of light. And we think the speed of light is the fastest thing on Earth, so which doesn't make sense at all. Like you know, speed of light is fast. The fastest thing on earth but the universe is expanding faster than the uh speed of light so i hope and i i'm banking on it that in next 50 years 60 years we'll see some breakthrough on understanding breakthrough in technology that would help us understand the universe a little bit better so i, I would say that i don't know what that technology is but i'm, I'm looking forward to it Oh, wow. this wasn't one of the questions we talked about but i think you might get in trouble for and from answering this so don't hate me, but I'm curious. So because you know you're you're a space geek and you talk about the universe, how do you reconcile that with, uh, I mean, you know, religion and you know, particularly you know, religions that from the parts of the country that we come from? Yeah, of course. Like you know, if if I bring that out, any of these questions, my dad would say, "Well, <laughs> everything is in the Quran, and yeah. scientists are just finding out what has been prescribed and said in Quran." 
1400 years ago i'm like yeah that's why i said you may get in trouble for for your answer no, no, I, i'm okay like i love my dad i, I talked to him and in a, in a joking manner too i'm not saying but i don't i don't like you know i i have no qualm with religions whatsoever and and i do think like an you know, islam has been in at least in terms of science like you know, it has uh, uh has been pretty accurate but again there's a lot of things you cannot explain like how prophet muhammad went from um uh, masjid al-aqsa al-aqsa to like heaven like okay like and you know, i'm not saying it's impossible we just don't know yet so part of it that i would say um i don't try to dwell too much on it to try to make sense um just because of um um uh, that there's so much that we do not know from science perspective i'll just give you just one example that i used to make sense to me um we talk about in quran we talk about uh there's two kind of beings one is human and other one is jinn and jinn is something that we don't see and the the thing is apparently jinn can see us but we don't see it so that's that's the uh dichotomy or whatever that the universe is now let's go to science and we talk about uh the string theory we want to talk about uh, the string theory theory on a very broad term try to connect quantum physics with the uh, uh electronics because all the science things are very like on its own universe and there's no uh way to connect quantum mechanics with regular newtonian physics so scientists decided that they were going to try to connect those uh science field and they came up with a thing called string theory that predicts there's going to be 11 dimensions out there so in 11 dimensions we only see three and a half x y and z and time just forward nothing not backward there are what seven eight and a half dimensions that we do not see that is around us how am i going to be so sure that in one of those dimensions or two of the dimensions jinn lives and they can see us but i we don't see them so it is completely possible that religions and science can coexist and me saying that no like science is 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 more powerful and it 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 does not predict that religion to be true i think it's kind of premature to declare that so that's how i reconcile like look I would take it as a face value with religion what it says I'm not going to try to fight over it just because there's so much that we don't know about it and and that's how I can leave it to be and 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 I use religion more of a my own personal guidance or how I conduct myself than than science based so or or justify what science has to say about x y and z did that make sense that made that made a lot of sense and I like your approach to um understanding or saying you don't understand some of these things i think it's i think it's true cuz like well, i think essentially what you're saying is you know some of what i don't know about religion i'm not going to try to explain uh with science yeah um what sort of what sort of technologies are you fearful of yeah that's that's something that i actually thought about so there are things that are very very practical and bound to happen soon um one of them is is called i think Kessler hold on what is it Kels Kessler syndrome that's one thing so it's basically it's very freaking real we all use cell phones and internet right it all depends on satellites up in uh, up in the orbits right and all are going at thousand miles at, at each others so like you know obviously they're not colliding they have their own or- orbits now imagine like in all of a sudden we have it's a real syndrome like it is a real scenario that could happen that you have one 
collided against another one, and all of a sudden you have so much debris, and those debris are also shooting at like and going around the earth at thousand miles per hour. And if you have a thousand of them, the chances of those debris hitting other satellites exponentially increases by a thousand, right? And then those will create more debris. And all of a sudden, with a matter of an hour or so, we will be cut off from the internet. We'll be cut off from all the sorts of communication that we, we are so comfortable living with, right? So that's a real thing. So that's why like, you need to be a bit, we need to be a bit more responsible about sending satellites out there, especially with, uh, with, uh, with Elon Musk send, sending Starlink. I'm like, great idea, bro. But have you thought about like, if you're testing thousands of small satellites, they create dirt, uh, debris, and those debris are going to negatively impact other satellites that are orbiting in the similar area. So that's just one thing that I'm terribly afraid of. Second thing I would say is the um, genetic modification. So traditionally, mom and dad, dad make love and have babies, right? The babies have the genetics of father and mother. Now it is possible to have a third genetics getting in. Like so, if you're brown, married a brown girl, um, if you have want to have your uh, children blue eyes and blonde hair, it is very much possible to do that. Right now, I don't know how much viable it is or how much money it's going to cost, but technology is there. And if the technology is there, it's going to happen at, at one point or the other. So now think about how un, uh, um, unequal this world is when it comes to privileges. Now that gives them the rich, shows of the rich, more edge. So the brave new world, whatever we talked about, I know it's a little bit too um, pessimistic and that, that book is, a little, I think I find it a little bit too, like, you know, straightforward, not, not much in it, but it is very much possible that we have superhuman with, if you want your kids to be super smart, you can have somebody who is super smart, his or her gene inserted in your, I don't know, in the womb and have that gene in it. How is that fair? So that's just one thing that I'm, I'm afraid that there's going to be, it's going to create some chaos in this world or, 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 um, ex, or, make things worse when it comes to uh, equity and uh, equality to some extent. And the last one, again, artificial intelligence, the whole Skynet thing from Terminator. I don't know where we are at this. Um, and I know we, we throw out artificial intelligence a lot nowadays, especially in a clubhouse, but I think we're like not, not there yet. But eventually we're going to be there where machine can code themselves and who the hell knows what's going to happen. Like we have seen so many movies about it. So that's just the lower, lower end of the fear. But the first two are very real. It could happen. And it might be happening too. We just have to be very uh, cognizant about it. For the potential space um, satellite collisions, what are companies and governments doing to ensure that they don't collide? Or are they doing anything? So the way that you do it, um, not to go too geeky about it, but like, you know, if you have a planet, and it's my coffee mug, if you have a planet, uh, Earth is big, thing is really small, and satellites don't like go around randomly. They have their flight path, right? So government or whatever, um, they, when, when, I think there's an international forum where you have to submit where is your satellites going to be uh, orbiting, right? So you, you find an orbit that is, not in the same orbit as uh, other uh, uh, satellites, right? So this is a responsible thing to do and, and uh, 
companies follow that. But there are times you will see China, like they just decided to uh, show off their uh, inter intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missile, ISBM or ICBM, and they just blasted their satellite from this. From, and I'm like, why? Why did you do that? See that this is sort of a reckless thing, right? And, and then when you do that, you don't know where the debris are going to be. And it just takes one screw up to mess up the entire system. So that's why I think like governments are doing and uh, everyone is in a good, good, um, uh, on, on a good faith, they are doing their job, but there's going to be some players going to just not going to play by the rule and going to end up doing something stupid and it's going to uh, negatively impact the, the world. Wow, you're getting me uh, really scared. It is a real thing, man. It's a real thing. Yeah, that one. I mean, the other two uh, I was aware of, but uh, but this one I hadn't I hadn't really heard too much about. It's scary. And you're right. I mean, it's I didn't. Uh, this just everyone seems to have you know sending out satellites out to space, and there's a lot of repercussions, I guess. One thing, like now, if 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 one of the uh, my one of my best best experience of my life was that I went to Grand Canyon, and at nighttime. That that national park was kind of overrated, to be honest. But at nighttime, we decided that we go back to the Grand Canyon and park in a parking lot. And because there's no light pollution, so you can see stars and mm -hmm. the galaxies to some extent. Mm -hmm. And you try to take pictures, and all of a sudden, you see a shooting star. And they're like, "Oh no, no, no that's not a shooting star. That is <laughs> International Space Station. It's going so fast. You can see it." Wow. And then you kind of realize like how fast that thing goes. Like mm. it goes around Earth nine times, I think, nine times a day. Wow. That's a lot. So wow. with that being said, like you kind of get it like you know, how if you have like thousand of the sh uh, sharp sh uh, debris going out at that speed, it's not a joke. It's not a joke, man. Wow. Well, I feel like we can talk forever. I mean, it's been uh, really interesting. I um, learned a lot from this conversation. Um, is there anything else you would want people that are listening to know about you or your field or just anything in general? Uh, no, um, I'm, I said what I said about in the beginning about engineering. Don't be intimidated by it. Um, it is not as scary as you think it is. Um, I have jobs where my manager did not even go to college and they were doing just fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they should. I, I, don't, I don't think you should do that. You should still go to college and study. But do not be intimidated by it. And uh, um, whatever you do, and I'm more than happy to have one-on-one -on -one or have a session with somebody who wants to learn more about aerospace, I'm more than happy to sit down with that person and, and talk. So feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm there to help you guys out. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Yep. Thank you. The red and green I beat is always in my heart. I do it for my people, always in my thoughts I gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls Yeah, yeah, Bengalis in New York All over the world, uh, it's the bony show uh, hey, Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit, to the gangs we with It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live